and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we're putting on our best spanky pants and putting our hair up, and we're going to just head down to Nationals in Daytona Beach, Florida, while we just wonderfully revisit the year 2000's absolute cheerleading classic, Bring It On. This movie, uh, my history with this movie is I fucking love it. I great. I love this movie. I definitely watched it when I was a kid. I was eight years old, probably when it came out, I think. And I ate it all up as a little gay boy, of course. It was just so like fun and campy, and I really enjoyed it. I think it has a nice little message in there, too, as well. And and I, I really appreciate that of, of this film. It definitely also did something, I guess I don't want to be too you know grandiose with it, but you know, I think this film, it's not perfect necessarily. I think probably 95% of it still works, you know, and, and I think it's still a fun movie. This film, like, definitely did something to films after it or to different series after it. You know, without a thing like Bring It On, I don't think that we'd have, like, a make it or break it or stick it. But even something like Glee, for example, you know, how they kind of approached cheerleaders on that show, uh, I think, like, you wouldn't have had that kind of thing if it wasn't for something like Bring It On. Uh, so I think that's that's super huge. And, and it was also cool because, you know, Peyton Reed got his first start, like, directing this movie. And, you know, this was, like one of Kirsten Dunst's like leading roles that she had. And, you know, then she went on to be in Spider-Man and all these other movies and everything. But, you know, there's definitely a lot there. And, and I, um, I just really enjoy it. I think it's such a fun time. I, I think there's a certain level of respect that is paid to cheerleaders in this movie too, which is great. And, uh, yeah, I think they do it in a really good way. Like I said, I'd say 95% of this still works. Honestly, there's some parts where you're like, Oh God, a little shaky, but you know, for the most part, I, I still enjoy it. So as we normally do on the show, we will go over some figures about the movie, go over some production history, go into a plot summary, you know, the drill here without further ado, let's move into those figures. So bring it on was released August 25th, 2000 and was directed by Peyton Reed and written by Jessica Benninger. It was also produced by Mark Abraham, Armian Bernstein, Caitlin Scanlon, Nancy Ray Stone, Thomas A. Bliss, Patty Cullen, and Max Wong. We're looking at a budget of $12 million and a box office of $68.3 million in U.S. and Canada and $90.4 million as a gross worldwide box office. We're looking at a 64% on Rotten Tomatoes on the tomato meter and a 66% audience score. We're looking at an IMDb score of 6.1 out of 10 and a Letterboxd score of 3.3 out of 5. For our cast of characters, we have Kirsten Dunst as Torn Shipman, Eliza Dushku as Missy Pantone, Jesse Bradford as Cliff Pantone, Gabrielle Union as Isis, Claire Kramer as Courtney, Nicole Bilderback as Whitney, Chanina Jolson as Darcy, Rennie Bell as Casey, Nathan West as Jan, Huntley Ritter as Les, Shamari Fears as Lava, Natina Reed as Janelope, Brandy Williams as LaFred, Richard Hillman as Aaron, Lindsay Sloan as Big Red, Bianca Kylick as Carver, Paige Inman as Jessica, Holmes Osborne as Bruce Shipman, Sherry Hersey as Christine Shipman, Cody McMains as Justin Shipman, and Ian Roberts as Sparky Palastri. So we have some pull quotes from some critics about bring it on. So we have Glenn Lavelle from the San Jose Mercury News, who states... Pair away the vaguely salacious cheers and the occasional four-letter comebacks, and you have a Nickelodeon after-school special. We then have Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times, who states, We get a strange mutant beast. Half Nickelodeon movie, half R-rated comedy. It's like kids with potty mouth playing grown-up. We then have John J. Puccio from Movie Metropolis, who states, You'll see more navels in this PG-rated movie than in a Florida orange grove. So before we get into a plot summary about Bring It On, I wanted to make sure we go over just the development of this movie and the production history, and also like the legacy and cultural impact of this movie as well. I think it's important to note. So uh, I will be pulling this information uh, from Wikipedia, of course, but uh, they have their sources in there as well. But I also would recommend, if you're at all interested, uh, check out the Bring It On, the complete oral history article on MTV.com from a couple years ago. I mean, so many people from Jessica Bettinger, who wrote this movie, to Peyton Reed, who directed it. A lot of the cast were quoted in there as well. So I thought that was really interesting. 
But yeah, let's get started with that development. So Jessica Bettinger herself was a former journalist and a music video director, and she originally pitched this idea for the film, which was called Cheer Fever at the time, as, quote, Clueless meets Strictly Ballroom, set at the National High School Cheerleading Championships. Because for whatever reason, Jessica Bettinger just was obsessed with cheerleading competitions on ESPN, and, you know, she thought, well, that'd be cool to maybe make something out of, you know, why not? She said the idea combined her love of hip-hop music and also cheerleading. So she was like, all right, maybe I could do a little something with this. Now, the film's depiction of cultural appropriation, which is a, a pretty big part of this film, was in informed by uh, Jessica's own experiences as a white writer who was covering hip-hop artists at a magazine called Spin, a music magazine that was a predominantly white publication. So she kind of just, you know, thought, well, what if? And she just started asking these what-if questions, like, until she got to the point of, like, well, what if the best team in the country were, like, stealing their routines from someone else? And then what would happen if that team they were stealing from were able to, like, come and, like, you know, show up and compete for their crown? So she kind of took that idea and ran with it. And she tried pitching it, and she pitched it and pitched it over, like, almost 30 times at this point. And people were just not into it. Like, studios were just not into it. And then it finally found a home at Beacon Pictures. So you finally have a place that's like, all right, cool. We got this company, you know, who can make this movie happen. Great. So then after that was greenlit and, you know, they had to start looking for a team, they then found Mark Abraham and Tom Bliss, who came from Strike Entertainment, uh, and they had produced some stuff in the past, and then went on to produce different things as well but they were brought on to help produce this film uh, in, as a host of a whole other people who did as well and then also Peyton Reed was brought on now Peyton Reed nowadays is known for doing Ant-Man with Paul Rudd but back then uh, back in these days he had only done two made for TV movies for Disney the computer wore tennis shoes and the love bug was what he did in the mid 90s but uh, this was his first feature film which was kind of cool I mean, you know, they were able to take a chance on a first-time director. They seem to really like him. Um, And he's also quoted in the uh, article about the oral history as, you know, his own experience. So, you know, all right. So you finally have your producers, your directors, but now you got to find a cast. So with the casting of this film, uh, prior to auditioning for the film, actors were expected to have, like, a cheer prepared. So, like, apparently, for example, like, Nicole Bilderbach, who plays Whitney in this movie apparently did a cheer to the song Mickey, apparently, which I thought was kind of funny. That was like a little uh, piece of trivia. But to avoid the use of stunt doubles, uh, Peyton Reed required that all the actors cast were to perform or to participate in a four-week cheerleading camp, which they do talk about in the special features of this film. Uh, If you get the DVD, I think, you can see that they talk about how they had to do a camp and everything. Because most of these people were just, you know, they were actors. Like, they weren't necessarily... um these athletic people or anything, but we'll get to that in a minute. Reed and Gabrielle Union met numerous times to discuss the best way to approach her character of Isis. Peyton Reed says, I think she was able to find what was cool about that character in a way. I doubt other actresses could. And Reed also explained in an interview that whenever she's on the screen, she has this charisma. And of course, Gabrielle Union is an icon and she was definitely an older person on set. You know, that's just what you did back in these days. The youngest person on this cast was Kirsten Dunst who pretty much didn't have to audition for this role because she was already well-known, and they were just wanting, really, to get her. Uh, But James Franco and Jason Schwartzman both auditioned for the role of Cliff Pantone, which then ended up going to Jesse Bradford. Uh, Marley Shelton was actually the first choice to play Torrance. They thought, all right, we want her, but she actually ended up doing the movie Sugar and Spice instead, which, actually, fun fact about that, Sugar and Spice and Bring It On were kind of the rival cheerleading movies because there were folks who auditioned for both of them, so they were kind of like, oh, I wonder what cheerleading movie I got. Hmm, I don't know. But to kind of go back to what I was saying a little earlier, for as many actors that are in this movie as well, there were also a fair amount of actual cheerleaders in this movie who were cast as well to really round out the routines. So I think they even said there was a certain ratio they had of like, yeah, for as many actors as we had, we also had people who were like legit cheerleaders who could do this work, 
which I thought was really kind of fun. Also, another thing with casting. So, you know, they had like Eliza Dushku, who was coming off of doing Angel and being in the Buffy universe. Uh, I thought one of the interesting things, and they do talk about this in the oral history, is we have the inclusion of the girl group Black, B-L-A-Q-U-E, who had a big song um, called Bring It All to Me, which featured J.C. Chazé from NSYNC. Uh, I love that song, by the way. But anyway, uh, so that was Shamari Fears, Natina Reed, and Brandy Williams. Uh, unfortunately, Natina Reed uh, passed away in 2012, but um, Shamari Fears and Brandy Williams are still around, and they were like literal teenagers um, in this movie. And it was a fun little tie-in because they had, I think they actually sing the, um, not the complete end song, but I think it's the title, it's the end credit song. They're actually the ones who do that song. But it is kind of a fun little tie-in because these girls were popular at the time, similar to something like, sort of like a 3LW or something like that. But yeah, it was kind of fun that they were able to be in this movie and all, because uh, they thought they were really cool to you know have in the movie. But one of the th- interesting things about them is that because these young girls, you know, they were from Georgia, I believe, they were from Atlanta, and they you know kind of you know blew up real quick. But with this, um, they didn't necessarily know how to act for the screen or camera um, because all they were used to doing was being music artists, and they were used to doing music videos so for example one of the examples they had was that during the scene early in the movie where kirsten dunst finds out that her routines have been stolen for these years they go to the clover school and then the clovers come out to confront her and missy and all that uh, they have that whole scene where, you know, the Clovers are on this side and the two white girls are on this side. Literally, apparently, the girls who were from the girl group um, would just look directly in the camera because they didn't know any better. They literally are these teenage girls. They were teenagers almost pretty much. And all they were ever used to was just doing um, music videos where you do look right at the camera. That's what you're there for. And so uh, they, but Peyton Reed was actually really nice about it. And he was able to kind of take them aside and be like, Hey, you know, when you're on set like that, you know, you interact with the people who are on set. Like you, you don't have to look at the camera or anything. Um, And I think Gabrielle Union also helped them as well. She also talks about that in the oral history where, you know, she was able to kind of help them through because she could kind of get it. She's like, you know, these girls aren't like actors, you know, Uh, but shoot, I'm an actor. Like, you know, I know what I'm doing. Like, I'm going to help them a little bit, which I thought was really nice. But yeah, I thought that was really cool about the casting of it is just they do have that little tie in of this popular girl group at the time. And then also just like that kind of funny story as well. But yeah, and and it looks like the cast also like has fond memories of this movie, too. We'll also get into a little bit of the filming and kind of the release of the movie as well. But yeah, we'll move into a little bit about the filming. So when it comes to the filming of this movie, so while editing the film, Peyton Reed and the editor Larry Bach uh, actually watched cheerleading exploitation films from the 1970s to kind of figure like how they want to like edit it and everything fun fact there's a movie clip that's shown to the sheer team near the end of the movie where they're like okay these are the different types of dance inspiration we'll pull from to make our new routine and that's from sweet charity which i thought was kind of fun but yeah filming of this movie seemed pretty cool Uh, it happened in 1999 i believe it was i don't remember exactly how long it um lasted for but you know they all filmed pretty much around san diego this is very much a san diego movie it looks like they also uh, use San Diego State University as well. And there were also local high school cheer squads that were used as extras as well. One of the fun facts that I kind of thought was, you know, one of the things in this movie that people don't always like is the car wash scene where they're trying to raise money to get Sparky Palastri. What I thought was interesting, though, and I think they do mention this somewhere, or maybe I heard it on somebody's, like, opinion piece about this movie on, or video or something. I do think it's interesting that even that particular shot in the movie, it's actually shot from from the gay guy's camera, which I thought was kind of fun. I think it was Les is the one who was the gay guy. I think Jan was the one who was doing some 
creepy shit but yeah less it's it's shot from his um camera pov which i thought was really interesting because people could say oh well it's kind of gratuitous a little bit and like oh these are supposed to be high schoolers all that kind of stuff i do think it's interesting that it's kind of shot from the perspective of this like gay cheerleader where obviously he would not be interested in them like that yeah but i think filming for this you know they all seem to have a good time. They all seem to get along pretty well, which was great. And then also the release of the film, I'll say too. Um, so one of the things about the release of this film that actually Gabrielle Union has stated about, and if you know, then you will know this, what I'm about to say. So if you check the trailer of this film, you will notice that there are certain scenes in the movie that include the clovers that are not actually in the final cut of the movie. So. Gabrielle Union, I think, took to Twitter or Instagram or one of those. Uh, and I think she even talks about this in the oral history. So please read that if you want to find out more. Pretty much what happened, and this isn't uncommon, I don't think, is that they did want to make sure they had different trailers and different marketing tools uh, for certain areas and demographics. So in their words, a more, quote, urban audience, they had this marketing material where they had or they had trailer material as well where they were able to kind of focus on the clovers a little bit more even though the clovers are definitely a part of this movie uh, but they're not a, a the main huge part of the movie it's also just really following the toros but you know there's like a scene in there in the trailer where you know somebody says you know i know they didn't think a white girl made that up or stuff like that or like there's a scene where like gabrielle union kisses this other guy and like we never see him ever, you know? And so people were definitely a little up in arms because they're like, well, wait a minute, it's in the trailer. So like, why is it not in the movie? And then had to you know bring him to the red table talk kind of a thing to then say like, well, this is what this was. This is what happened. And I think they even talk about that in the oral history too. The people who were kind of behind that. And Gabrielle Union even talks about just like, you know, how not only did she want ISIS to you know, not be a particular type of character that she didn't want to get pinned with. Um, and she was very careful to make decisions that she thought were, were good with her character. But she also did mention about this as well, that like, you know, that's what Hollywood does. Like they'll kind of target a certain demographic or a certain market and, you know, make marketing materials that are like sometimes deceptive, it seems like, but you know, that's just part of marketing honestly i you can definitely find out more about that if you're at all interested about that um i think a similar thing sort of happened with like um the faculty if you've seen that movie so as you may know if you do know but if you don't usher the musical artist is in that movie technically he's only in there for like literally five or ten minutes like not even that long like he's not a main character and it's so funny uh a little side tangent but like it's so funny that with the faculty which i'll probably cover at some point on the poster of that movie like usher's on there so i thought to myself i was like oh wait is usher in this movie like is he gonna be one of the kids or something like what uh which i wasn't surprised by but i was like wait a minute once i finally found the movie and i watched it i was like wait a minute usher's in this for like a couple sec like a couple minutes like not even that long and he's not one of the main kids he's not in the elijah wood jordana brewster clea duvall group you know um which i just thought was interesting but yeah so that's a little bit about like the release and all that but we'll move into a little bit about the cultural impact of the movie too and the legacy so to talk about just the impact and legacy that Bring It On has, you know, had since its release. So in the years since its release, Bring It On has really been lauded as a rare teen film that addresses issues of systematic inequality, cultural appropriation, and intersectional feminism, which are seen as major factors of the film's continued legacy. And in that oral history from MTV.com, you know, definitely the cast has said, like, you know, yeah, this is a super important movie, and we, we were able to talk about certain issues going on, you know, that are still relevant today. People respond to that. You know, viewers respond to that. I do think it's interesting, yeah, these issues that are a little more heavy like systematic inequality just racism in general and cultural appropriation even though i think you will have people who criticize the movie for those things and say like you know yeah it's more of a puff piece kind of a thing or or whatever but i also do think like for just the general audience that would be watching this it is a good example of being able to show like hey this is what cultural appropriation is and this is why it's wrong you shouldn't do it and if you want to know what that is please watch bring it on because you get to learn about 
about it. And you get to kind of see that. And there are certain scenes in this movie that kind of help with that. So, for example, you know, the mo- uh, the scene where the Clovers come to the football game to kind of show that, like, the Toros have just stolen their routine iconic scene by the way but like you know there's that to say like yep you were just ripping our shit off but you can't even do it well like we're doing it better than you are or even the scene which is one of my favorite scenes we'll talk about is when Torrance goes and tries to give money to Clover's team to get them to nationals and all and you know talking about that as well and being like ooh well what's ugh, that that's not seen as the best but you know we'll get into that a little bit later but you know that scene is also something where it's like, I think even Gabrielle Union says, like, she wanted to make sure that she approached this character where it didn't come off as this, like, angry stereotype or anything, which I thought was really interesting and and I think was very, um, yeah, real tactful of her, honestly. Beatrice Hazelhurst from ID wrote, while its racial inclusion, uh, especially among primary characters, already put the film far ahead of its time, the dynamic of social strata woven throughout the tapestry of Bring It On allows it to hold up so well 20 years later. By wrapping its arms narratively around not only people of color, but queer kids and kids who might feel othered. And Jessica Benninger says that Bring It On offered the overlooked and the ostracized the chance to see themselves on screen. And I do can definitely understand that, where you're able to see this, and if you are like a young person of color, and you're able to see these, these people who look like you, and you're seeing them overcome this adversity, and you're seeing them triumph and all, I can definitely see why some people are like, yeah, you know what, like, this is already it's already hard enough, you know, but you know, this gives me a chance to be like, Hey, you know what? Like I can understand how to navigate in these spaces a little bit better now. Um, just cause I'm able to see that on screen and all, and it gives you a better perspective, especially if you are growing up and watching something like bring it on. I can also understand queer kids loving this movie and I can understand gay people like in this movie. I, I love in the oral history, Lindsay Sloan, who for those in the know, it's big red, but, uh, I know her as Valerie Burkhead from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I love how she said, like, um, in this oral history, she said she has seen so many gay men dress up as her, as Big Red, for Halloween, which I love. And of course, I think that would be obviously iconic. Yeah, I can understand queer people liking this movie. It, it, there's a certain level of camp to it, which I think is really fun. Really enjoy that. And I think there's a certain kind of tongue-in-cheek quality that's there. Uh, and also just having a, a character, less who is technically gay in some way, um, even though that's not explored a ton. But, you know, he gets the little, like, meeting with the other little you know, gay cheerleader on the other team near the end. It was really cute. And yeah, I think I definitely understand queer audiences liking this movie, too, for sure sure and also apparently jesse bradford said something he was quoted as saying um the movie managed to shine a light on problems like appropriation and white fragility Um, in light of recent history bring it on seems relevant right now and again i think a lot of people will say like oh my god like yeah bring it on like not all of it works necessarily but a fair amount of it still does work and it is seen as a movie that just goes down in a certain level of history you know, and and it's just seen as a, a kind of good time movie. And then, of course, you know, we have the uh, direct-to-video sequels that came out. We have a television film sequel. So, you know, the direct-to-video sequels are Bring It On Again, Bring It On All or Nothing with Solange Knowles and Hayden Panettiere, Bring It On In It to Win It, Bring It On Fight to the Finish, Bring It On Worldwide Cheer Smack, and then my favorite, Bring It On Cheer or Die, which came out in 2022 and is a horror movie version of this film, which is probably really horrible bad. And of course, none of these people, really, at all, except for Bring It On again, they had some of the filmmaking crew from Bring It On on that film, but pretty much, like, nobody else ever was on these movies again, and it it shows, because I don't think you could touch the original, honestly. And there was, of course, a Bring It On musical back in 2011. I remember it actually, there was a tour of it, um, so that toured around a little bit. I'm almost certain I, it did open on Broadway. Oh my God, I'm do seeing this. It uh, opened in 2012 there. Um, it had previews. Cause I remember I went to New York around this time, I think somewhere around there. And I remember seeing some stuff about bring it on. And I just remember seeing some of that and I was just like, Oh, wait a minute. That's cool. But yeah, you know, this movie has a certain legacy to it. Uh, it spawned all those sequels and everything. So 
definitely has a certain legacy. It definitely has a certain love in people's hearts and is a cult classic and all. Without further ado, let's get to our plot summary. So we start off our film with some real jazzy, fun music going on. And we have these cheerleaders who put their hands up and clasp them together and go side to side. And then we have the first lines, which are, I'm sexy. I'm cute. I'm popular to boot. I'm bitchin'. Great hair. The boys all love to stare. I'm wanted. I'm hot. I'm everything you're not. I'm pretty. I'm cool. I dominate this school. Who am I? Just guess. Guys wanna touch my chest. I'm rockin'. I smile. And many think I'm vile. I'm flyin'. I jump. You can look, but don't you hump. I'm major. I roar. I swear I'm not a whore. We cheer and we lead. We act like we're on speed. Hate us because we're beautiful. Well, we don't like you either. We're cheerleaders. We are cheerleaders. Roll call. So they make my job really easy. So I get introduced to Big Red, Whitney, Courtney, Darcy, Carver, Casey, and then not, last but not least, to 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 Torrance Shipman, played by Kirsten Dunst. You know, Torrance says, I'm strong and I'm loud. I'm going to make you proud. I'm Tita Torrance. You're Captain Torrance. And then we end this with, you know, let's go Toros. We are the Toros, the mighty, mighty Toros. We're so terrific. We must be Toros. And then, uh, you know, what ends up happening is, you know, you see Kirsten Dunst, good old Torrance. You know, she comes up and then she like pretty much uh, doesn't have her top on. I mean, we don't see her boobs or anything. Uh, you can go see Mel and call you for that. But you have this and uh, it's you find out it's a dream sequence. So you're just like, oh, OK, never mind. It's a dream sequence. We have our dream sequence in here, and then we got our actual main title sequence, and pretty much what happens after this is we have, um, we get an introduction to Aaron, played by Richard Hill, Richard Hillman, and he's coming to pick up uh, Torrance to take her to her first day of school while he is going to his first day of college, because he can't miss orientation. Aaron is driving this little blue car or whatever, and like he picks up uh, Torrance, and Torrance's parents are outside too, uh, played by Sherry Hersey and Holmes Osborne, I believe. They obviously aren't really into Aaron, I don't think, uh, but they're just like, okay, it's when you like he's going off to college okay so macamia in front of the parentals torrance and aaron they're driving over to rancho carne high school which i just think is funny because of the name of rancho carne yeah they're driving to you know take her to school and then i love this i love the line of i got the door tour i got the door tour (laughs) And he, like, goes around and gets the door for her. Uh, We then see Whitney and Courtney. Uh, They are just like, you know, Aaron, just one more practice. You know, good luck at school, you know, and all that. And so then they have, we then go in and we see, uh, we get introductions to all the other cheerleaders as well. They're in the locker room, you know, kind of getting changed and stuff and all that good stuff because they're about to have a little meeting going on. And we get our introduction to Big Red, played by Lindsay Sloan, as I said. So then, you know, Whitney is Nicole Bilderback. Claire Kramer is playing Courtney. We have... Bianca Kalik as, I think, Carver. Janina Jolson as Darcy. Rennie Bell as Casey. All them. So, and then plus you have, like, uh, Nathan West, I think, plays one of the characters. I think he's Jan. And then this other guy, Hunter Huntley Ritter, is Les. He's the gay one. So that's fun. And, uh, yeah, they're all kind of getting, you know, together. And then Big Red's is, is uh, collecting all the votes for Captain. And Torrance is like, you know, it's it's Big Red's last practice. We should, you know, do something for her. And then Whitney and Courtney are not about that. They're just like, girl, like, nobody's going to miss Big Red tour. Like, you know, everyone hates her. All this kind of stuff. <laughs> she has no feelings, just testicles. Which I thought was kind of fun. But yeah, so we have these cheerleaders all out on the um, grass and you have Big Red kind of, you know, talking about like, this will lead you to your, you got all the great athletes. This will lead you to your sixth championship uh, in large part by me. And then she says that uh, Torrance is elected the next team captain, which is great, wonderful, love. And then as her first point of captain, uh, Torrance wants to try a wolf swall. And they're doing this uh, 
the stunt, I guess, of a wolf swallow or whatever. And uh, then what ends up happening is because Carver could not cradle out correctly or whatever, um, she is then injured and she is forced to sit the rest of the season out. Um, and there's this kind of funny scene where, like, you know, you see Carver fall, she hits the ground, and then uh, she gets put into a ambulance, a paramedic or whatever. But you know what? She's still very chipper and she's full of piss and vinegar. And she's just like, don't worry about me. I'll come back, you guys. It's fine. And it's just so funny. And then we get our introduction. I think it was to Cliff Pantone, played by Jesse Bradford. He's in the same, I think, English class or something. I think it was. As Torrance, he meets her there while getting the loser cough from somebody in the classroom. Loser! Loser! And he has a whole dissertation about the fucking loser cough, which I'm just like, dude, it's not that serious, but it's fine. Anyway, so then we get introduction to... We see Torrance back at home... And she's come back and we meet her little brother, uh, who is Justin Shipman. Fun little fact about that. So Cody McMaines actually um, starred in the movie Not Another Teen Movie, where he played Janie Briggs' little brother, I think it was. It's kind of funny because like he literally was just in Bring It On uh, like the year before it. So he probably did this like two years before that movie actually came out. But Anyway, but I just thought it was really funny that, like, he went on to then be in a teen film parody type movie, um, playing a, you know, not the same character, I guess. That's more Ron Lester, but, you know, I just thought that was really funny. We get this whole idea of, like, oh, Torrance, you know, she's really into cheerleading. She really loves it. It's her life. Her mom's all like, you know well, you know, college just won't be much much of a shock. Maybe you take an extra lab or two or a language or something. Um and Torrance is like, well, advanced chem get you off my back. And, you know, it's also funny because then Torrance is like, you know, mothers have killed to get their daughters on squads. And then I love the I love the line of like, that mom didn't kill anybody. She hired a hitman, which I thought was kind of fun. Because of the fact that, you know, Carver's off the team because she can't, you know, do anything because she broke her leg or whatever the hell she did. They then have to hold auditions for a replacement. And so you get this fun little montage of people who are trying out for the the team. So, you know, you just have, like, the girl who's, like, questioning everything and apparently doesn't like to wear underwear, apparently. You then also have the person who thinks it's a stripper routine, I guess, uh, set to Cherry Pie by Warrant, which apparently that was, like, a very expensive thing to get, which I thought was kind of fun, but it's worth it. I think it's funny. And then also, there was a, apparently a deleted scene, too, for that as well. There was going to be, like, a weird teacher or something. I don't remember who it was played by, but it was by this... Uh, weird teacher that they were gonna have and he was gonna like he was gonna be like coming into the auditions being like hey hey guys so but it didn't happen that way because this was supposed to be a little bit more r-rated they had to take certain little things out for example there was a scene in here or there's a line in this actual audition they talk about jamie i think it is who is whitney's little sister um and they're like you know we've already decided on jamie blah 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 blah. and i think it's one of the male cheerleaders he says um courtney she says um and she doesn't give lip and i think the initial line was supposed to be no only head but then um, it wasn't that that had to get scrapped, and I think it was just only mouth or something like that. So they had to they had to change some stuff around. But anyway, so they then gain Missy Pantone, um, who's played by Elias Dushku. Uh, we see that I just love that montage though of people. Um, you have the the guy who thinks it's the audition uh, for Pippin. <laughs> He's like doing give my regards to Broadway. I also like the dancer guy in there too. I like him. He has a lot of enthusiasm. I appreciate him. But anyway, so yeah. But Missy Pantone comes in, and so you know she's totally not into this. I love her little cheer of you know uh, I transferred from Los Angeles. Your school has no gymnastics team. This is a last resort. So I thought that was kind of fun. It seems like Whitney and Courtney aren't really into her like that. So they are like, well, we want you to do this combination of this, 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 and this. And then it looks as if like Missy's just like, all right, well, fuck this. Like what? But then she actually goes about and actually does, I think, most of the actual routine, um, which of course is great. And then, you know, Torrance is like, Missy is bank. Like we're going to get her. And then, you know, 
Courtney and Whitney don't want her. But, you know, Missy doesn't really want to be on this at first. But then actually, uh, Torrance goes to her house and she then finds out that Cliff, the guy she just met, is actually, I guess, the brother to Missy. And she then explains, like, you know, Missy, we want you on the team. Like, I want you on the team. You know, we work hard. We win national championships, all this stuff. And I think it's because her brother seems to like say that she can't do it. It just makes her want to do it that much more. So then she's like, you know what? Screw it. Let's do it. I'll, I'll do this thing with you. Right. All right, cool. So then while she's watching the Toros practice, because they do this burr, it's cold in here. I said, there must be some Toros in the atmosphere. Missy notices like, wait a minute, what the heck? And she just like storms off. Right. And she gets in her car, her cute little, like, beetle or whatever, like, she has. You know, Torrance is coming after her to be like, what the hell is up? Like, I put my neck out for you and this is how you act? You know, Missy's all like, I'm not into stealing, all right? I'm not doing that. And she's like, what are you talking about? Missy's like, you totally ripped up to those cheers. Like, what the hell? Torrance is all trying to be a badass, I guess. And she's like, all right, that's it. Come on, I'm going to kick your ass. As if Eliza Dushku isn't going to kick her ass. Like, what? Anyway, have y'all seen Buffy? I mean, come on. But anyway, so Missy says, okay, you're in for a rude awakening. Get in. Like, get in. And Torrance is like, what? Like, no. Um, She's like, no, for real. Get in. So they drive to LA, which from my understanding is like an hour away or something from where they're at. Probably something. I don't live in California. I don't know. My California listeners. I know I have some of y'all. Tell me how long that is. Yeah. And plus also traffic too, bitch. Traffic? Like, you tell me it's about an hour, bitch. It's gonna be like seven hours that they're in. But anyway, so... You know, they go to L.A. to go watch the East Compton Clovers, a squad that uh, Missy's previous high school frequently competed against, who does pretty much a very identical routine to this. And Torrance is just in shock. And she's just like, oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, no. So it's just kind of showing that, like, Missy was right and that, you know, yeah, you're these are not cheers that are uh your original ones okay so then you see missy and torrance about to be leaving but then isis comes after them she confronts the two of them with her squad she demands to know what they're doing there and she then pretty much reveals raggedy ann with like a little video tape you know uh she's pretty much saying that like listen this person videotaped the Clover's routines and have been stealing them for the Toros. And, you know, nobody obviously would believe them or, you know, like, what are they going to be able to say? And this, again, then just shows, like, Torrance didn't know anything about this. And she's just like, we promised we were not here to steal anything. We were just coming to see you guys. Like, you guys rock. Like, you know. <laughs> I think it's funny. Like, one of the girls, she's like, let's just beat these Buffies so I can get out of here. Which is then funny because, like... You know, Eliza Dushku was on Buffy. So, like, that's just kind of funny. But, yeah, the Clovers vow to then beat the Toros in the national competition because Isis is like, that's all going to change this year. I'm captain, and we're going to get to nationals. Don't you worry about that. Because they couldn't afford to attend in previous years and to prove that they're just better cheerleaders. So then, you know, they finally get to go away. You've been touched by Angel Girl. You know, I love that. Torrance and Missy are then driving back to San Diego, and Torrance is saying that, like, she's cursed with bad luck, and she talks about, like, you know, how, like, at cheerleading camp over the summer, like, she was dared by Big Red to drop a spirit stick during a dare, as something that, you know, is never supposed to touch the ground, which apparently is real. And there's, like, this whole, like, weird kind of, like, flashback going on with it, where, you know, she gets the spirit stick, she's about to give it to this other team, and then she lets it drop, and then she tries to give it to the team, and then the one team who's, like, Southern or whatever, she's like, I don't want it now. And then the one girl's like, it's okay. The one who dropped it, however goes to Hades, which I thought was really funny. Um, But yes, they have that. And then, you know, so again, Torrance is thinking that she's somehow cursed, which, you know, whether she is or not, I don't think is really true, but whatever. Anyway, Torrance and Cliff, they begin to get to know each other. There kind of is like this mutual attraction going on. But oops, guess what? Fucking Cliff doesn't know that Torrance is a boyfriend because Aaron's just becoming a little bit more distanced because he uses college and, uh, you know, spoiler, he's cheating on her as well. We find that out. But like, Anyway, 
you do see Torrance and Cliff kind of getting into a little bit more of like the closer together a little bit, especially since Missy is on the team now and they are, you know, getting a little bit closer, which is nice. So then we have the stolen cheers part of the film. So this is, you know, Torrance informing the Toros about the routines, you know, the team votes in favor of keeping the routines to win, you know, like, well, you know, you never know, like the Clovers probably aren't going to ever, you know, have to compete against us. Let's just stick with what we already have. Even though Torrance is like, you guys, like, are you fucking kidding me? I mean, obviously there's not really a whole lot of fuck in this movie, but like, they're pretty much saying like, you know, are you like, oh God, okay, I guess that's all we can do. Like, there's no time to, to learn a new routine. And Missy goes along with it. She knows it's not right, though, because she's like, yo, like, I literally showed you this and like, you're still doing it because you don't think there's enough time. All right, whatever, you know. So then you have the night of the football game. Oh, that's something I kind of forgot to say. So like, you know, you see like the football players making fun of the male cheerleaders and stuff or whatever, which I think is really fun. Malignant this tool or whatever. The whole running joke in this movie is that like the football team sucks horribly and uh, the cheerleaders are actually the more interesting part that people come for, which I thought was really funny. But yeah, at the next home game that they come to, you know, the cheerleaders, the Toros are out there, and it's funny, they have this little thing, so, like, the Toros are there, and this other team comes, and they are, you know, doing this little, like, battle thing where they're like, you really suck. And, like, for some reason, like, you suck is, like, on the... um the bottoms of the underpants of the other uh, team or whatever that they show, which is really funny. But then they go right back, the tours go right back, and they say, that's all right, that's okay, you're going to pump our gas someday. Which I thought is funny because, like, honestly, like, at the time, like, I don't know if gas pumpers were still a thing. Um, in New Jersey, you can't pump your own gas. They actually had people do that for you. But um, I was like, in California, I was like, bitch, you can pump your own gas. Like, what are you talking about? You have the Toros at this home game, all that good stuff. And then you see Ice and her you know squad coming up and they then come to the game and then they're like oh shit oh shit like you see Torrance you see Missy they're like oh shit oh shit like they've they're coming here and they're gonna do something oh lord but then pretty much what happens is that it's such a good scene oh my god y'all Isis and her teammates perform the Toros's routine right in front of the whole school like in front of the whole football game just humiliating them and it really is because like they are literally first off better which is fun and then also like they're doing it verbatim the same way so it's just like showing and i think that's what's so cool about that scene is like they're doing it better than them and then also it's literally the same thing so it's just showing that like you stole from us and they even say that try to steal our bit but you look like shit but we're the ones who are down with it it's like yeah boo you thought like oh we could just do this but now you're like well we just got humiliated so there you go you have that whole thing going on and then they're like whoever's up for a new routine like you know raise your hand and so the team is like all right let's do it and then even the audience are like you know yeah i think you should and like, nobody asked you jeez but anyway so then they decide to do do that and then you have this whole scene where i guess um torrance comes to missy's house and they're staying the night after the game and you have that whole scene where um torrance finds cliff in his room playing guitar which is kind of fun and then also, but she's just like, it goes on for a long time. It goes on for like two minutes or something. She's just like watching him, <laughs> which she was actually going to go and like brush her teeth or whatever, but she just got sidetracked apparently. But anyway, so then you see this little scene going on where Torrance is brushing her teeth and then Cliff's coming to brush his teeth. And it's this whole kind of like unspoken, like chemistry type scene, uh, which is like kind of cute, I guess. It's a memorable part of this movie. That I'm surprised wasn't parodied more and not another teen movie, but like, anyway, you have that whole kind of thing. And then after some advice from Aaron, so because you've seen that Torrance has been trying to call Aaron a little bit, but she hasn't been able to get in touch with him. But then finally, like the morning after that whole like toothpaste thing. Oh, and by the way, like Torrance has still not told Cliff, who she's somewhat flirting with, kind of hard, um, that she has a boyfriend. So she, has, he has, she hasn't said that yet. What happens is Aaron. Aaron advises that Torrance, you know, try to get some money or tries to use a guy by the name of Sparky Palastri to 
you know, um, do a routine for them to be a, it's, he's a choreographer. Here's his phone number. Like, you know, go to him and see if he can get you a new routine. All right, cool. Thanks, Aaron. Like, that's great. And then we see that Aaron's actually just being a cheater and cheating on uh, Torrance at college with this lady, which is not good. Then you see that Torrance gets her, you know, her team together to raise money. That's where they do this car wash. Again, I think I said it a little earlier, but like this could be seen as kind of a gratuitous thing a little bit because it's very much like, oh, there's this like male gaze going on and like all this kind of stuff. And it just seems like kind of a useless scene. Um, Although I do like when we see like uh, Cliff coming with his really, really muddy car. And then like we just see... um, Elijah Dushku's chest in like a, a bikini top. He's just like, oh, oh god. Um, and then I like the one, the one line they have, which is like, um, sometimes I wish I had a brother and be like, he'd look kind of silly in that bikini though. And so then, anyway, but that was just kind of fun. But I do like how that actually is. Like, it is shot from like Les's perspective, who's the gay guy in this team. So, like, I just thought it was kind of fun. Uh, but I can understand people maybe not liking that scene because they're like, yeah, no, it feels a little weird. But anyway, so they raise this money because they get a little bit of money from Darcy's dad or whatever because they're just like, hey, you know, do you think we could use DADDY? So we only have to do a little bit more money. And then they are able to hire this choreographer, Sparky Palastri. So Sparky Palastri is played by Ian Roberts, um, who is, I think, one of the founding members, if I'm not mistaken, of the Upright Citizens Brigade. He comes in and he is just a choreographer from hell, has some of the craziest lines, but he pretty much says, like, you know, the whole team should go on a diet. He regularly belittles them. And we see this whole scene of, like, how he's doing this routine for them. He's, like, trying to make this all work and happen for them. All that good stuff, right? So, but we already know that he's like a villain, quote unquote. He's this guy who's, you know, this crazy choreographer or whatever. But we do have that scene. The team does learn the routine uh, in time for the competition because, you know, regionals are really close, you know, so they got to be able to have a great routine in regionals um, to then move on any further. So then from there, we have the scene of like, okay, they've learned this routine from Sparky, like all that good stuff. And then at regionals, uh, we actually see... So we get this, like, fun kind of, like, point of this movie to show regionals, right? So I think it was at, like, um, Dominguez Hills or something like that. They are showing all these different cheerleading squads and how they kind of do different things, all that kind of stuff. The Clovers are there. And so we see the Clovers go up, which they have a great routine and everything. Uh, I also love one of my favorite scenes in this movie is where... Courtney is talking to Whitney, I think it is, and then she's just talking to somebody, and then she's just like, oh, I'm gonna kick your ass, you evil whore, and then it's like a literal child or something, and she's just like, get over it, hag, and she just starts like, <laughs> the little girl starts punching her, and like, Courtney's just like fighting this child, pretty much, it's so funny, holy Jesus, it's so good, but anyway, so like I said, we have you know, the Clovers who go up and they have a great routine and everything. And then we see the Toros. So again, they have this Sparky Palastri performance that they've, they're going to be doing and they're getting interviewed by the, I don't know, the ESPN people or whatever, or whoever the, the media is there. You see that Torrance is like talking about, you know, oh yeah, like these are the six time national champions, da da da, whatever, whatever. Then you hear the same music because it's the same music prepare for world domination 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 are y'all ready for this yeah all that they realize that there's some other team who is scheduled before them and they're performing the same exact routine which inadvertently embarrasses the team who you know they don't have any choice to do anything different obviously so yeah you see that team do it kind of and then you see the Toros have to go up and the same music comes up and now they're having to do the same exact thing, which is really embarrassing and horrible because you're like, oh, wait, like, because everyone really liked the Clovers, all that good stuff, right? And then people are like, wait, did we, didn't we just see this? Like, what the heck? Oh, and then you also have that, like, Cliff is in the audience and then also Aaron's in the audience as well. And you see, like, Torrance, like, blows 
Aaron a kiss, but then I think, you know, Cliff thinks that she's blowing him a kiss and all that. It's a whole thing. But yeah, so the Toros are left with no other choice but to do this routine. And then obviously nobody's interested because they just saw it. They were like, oh, okay, bitch, got it. So then a official of this, uh, you know, competition comes up to Torrance and learns that the choreographer, Sparky Plastry, Spiky Palastri, but Sparky um, has provided the routine for six other teams. So there's nothing in the rules that say that this is not allowed, but it's heavily frowned upon because all you're doing is just having somebody choreograph this for you, but it's not even like they can choreograph anything differently. So that's not good. And uh, it's just not a good time. Uh, And I think even so, you know, there's a scene where like Missy's off to the side and Cliff comes up and Missy's like, yo, it's not a good time to go up to her and talk to her about anything. But Cliff is just like, Hey, Torrance. And she's just like, no bad time, bad time. And so, uh, yeah, the official is saying like, as the defending champions, the Toros are guaranteed a spot to nationals in Daytona beach, but she is warned. Torrance is warned that a new routine will be expected because they cannot just show up with something not original. Pretty much what it pretty much is too, because big reds there, you see big red with her fucking, you know, Kathy Griffin hair. It's like that curly red hair or whatever. She's there, but she sees, you see the look on her face. Cause she's just like, Oh, what the hell? Because she's just like, I gave you this thing and we'll get to that in a minute. But like, you see that big red's just like, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God. Like, you know, what the hell dude? Then, you know, big red chastises Torrance for her inability to be a leader. And she says that if she made any mistake as a squad leader, it was not stealing other cheers, but making Torrance her successor. You know, she's crushed by Big Red's words, her failure to lead the squad successfully. She does consider quitting a little bit. But even, you know, Torrance does even say, like, you know, because Big Red's just like, I gave you an idiot-proof, you know, thing. Hello. You know, Nationals, hello. You know, Torrance is like, don't you mean a stolen routine? And Big Red just doesn't give a fuck, which is just crazy. And then also Aaron's not any more helpful. Like, Maybe you're just not Captain Material, babe. Even though he's like literally cheating on her, which is just so stupid. But anyway, yeah, Aaron recommends that, you know, Torrance step down from her, you know, captain position and considers selling her out to the other team mates. So like Courtney and Whitney. That's not cool either. That's stupid. But anyway, yeah, Aaron's not any better. And, you know, she does consider quitting, even though, I mean, like, not that she didn't lead effectively, I don't think. It was just that, like, you know, she just didn't have the foresight to think that, like, hey, maybe we shouldn't be spending $2,000 on this guy who's just going to give us a routine that he gave to a bunch of other people and is just collecting money up the coast, you know? We then see Aaron kiss Torrance, because that's her boyfriend. Cliff is actually outside of Torrance's house, and he sees them kissing, he then severs his friendship with her. But the thing is, is Torrance wasn't smart about it either because fucking she never told him that, you know, she had a boyfriend. So whose fault's that, you know? Anyway, but yeah, so you have that. And then Torrance breaks up with Aaron, who then she realizes has been distant from him and all of that. And, you know, or he's been distanced from her, I guess. And um, not believing in her. Oh, this all happens because then... um. She finds out because Cliff gives her, like, this tape or whatever, right? And she's just, like, down on her luck, and she's just, like, not feeling good. But she puts in this, like, mixtape or whatever. And it's actually, like, a tape that, like, Cliff literally recorded for her, which was very nice, of, like, this um, really nice little poppy punk type song, you know, going on, where you then see Kirsten Dunst just, like, you know, fucking dancing around the room. Um, But anyway, so... She's then kind of inspired to be like, all right, you know what? Like, let me break up with this fuck boy I have of a boyfriend. And he, she, so she goes to his like dorm room and breaks up with him, I think, uh, where he finds, she finds him, um, you know, like, uh, having a girl in bed or whatever. So it's a whole thing. And, uh, yeah, so that all happened. And you know, also for selling, her out to the other girls too which was not cool either because you do have the scene where like courtney and whitney come up to her and 
she's like, bitch, I'm not like quitting. Okay. Like, fuck this. Like, fuck y'all y'all. Um, so that actually happens first. And then the whole breakup happens with, um, Aaron. But yeah, you know, she's just like, listen, like we obviously tried this and all that, but she gets this inspiration from this mixtape of like, you know what? We should do like a real original routine. So we're going to, you know, study all different types of dance. We're going to like, you know, take from musicals and like all this kind of stuff so that we can make something original to take to nationals with us. So we do see that like, you know, Torrance is deciding to stand her ground. Like you're going to have to like, you know, do it over my dead body. And I love how Whitney says that can be arranged. Yeah, no, but she's just like, no, I'm not leaving this. Like, this is my squad. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be the leader. So she then learns. So Torrance learns that um, the Clovers are unable to get the funds to pay for nationals. Um, which, you know, somebody on the squad is like, well, wait, isn't that good? Because then they can't go to nationals and then we could win. But Torrance is like, well, no dipshit. Like, you know, if we're going to compete, we're going to compete against the best. Like, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So they find out about that, you know, Torrance then goes to her dad who, you know, has his own company and he's like, you know what? Like, she asks, like, can you sponsor the team, Dad? And so then there's this whole scene where, you know, Torrance is like, do the right thing, Dad. And it was just kind of funny. But anyway, you then see the Clovers in their gym who are, you know, talking about, like, um, their writing to, I think it was uh, Paulette or Pauletta, I believe it was, who's like kind of an Oprah type in this universe. They're like, all right, you know, we'll write to her and it'll be cute. Like, you know, we're going to do this. You know, she's from our neighborhood. She'll understand all that good stuff. Right. But then you see that Torrance has come up and she is giving the money. She gives this check to Isis to be like, hey, you know, like I got my dad's company to sponsor you. And Isis is like, no, like she's calling it guilt money. She said, you know, like, I'm not doing this, you know, and be like what this is so you can feel better you know when you sleep at night or whatever and so i love this scene because i think it's handled really well honestly because pretty much like pretty much isis is saying like listen because to be fair at least i think that torrance is if anything just you know blissfully ignorant about just her privilege it seems like and so for her you know, it makes sense to be like, oh, well, you know, if they can't, if they don't have the money to go, maybe I can help them get that money or I can help them with this and then I can compete against them. Um, so again, I think she was, if, if anything, blissfully ignorant to it, but like, but Isis is, you know, just tells her like, no, it's guilt money. Like, you know, I'm not doing this, even though I don't think that's how Torrance saw it. But she's pretty much saying, it seems like, you know, Isis is saying like, listen, it's already hard enough, you know, being that like we are from a lower income area than you are. Um, she doesn't say all this, obviously, but like, you know, she's saying like, we're already from a low income area, so we'll find a way, you know, like we'll do that. But you know what? Like, we already have to work harder anyway, because we are people of color pretty much and it's already gonna be tough to like go to a thing like nationals but we're gonna fucking do it so all you need to do is just bring it because that way we know that we're better when we beat you we'll know it's because we're better um but i just love how they kind of handle that whole thing i i think it's just really it's really good because you know she does it in a very tactful manner she's just like oh i never worry it's fine i just think she did it in a really good way and it's one of my favorite scenes just because i'm like yep she she is very politely telling her like look white girl we don't need your help we just want you to bring it you know we want to know that when we beat you it's because we were the best so there you go and that goes into a lot of like what I was kind of saying earlier with the whole, you know, cultural impact of the movie and all that. Like, you know, just talking about how like, yeah, there's privilege when you are, you know, there's white privilege that's there and it's already hard enough for this school, the East Compton Clovers to have to compete against like the Toros, which obviously have more money than them, but like they're going to find a fucking way, dude, and they're going to get to nationals like, you know, because all this other time they know that, like, oh, these people have been stealing our fucking routines and have been just, like, you know, parading it around with this, you know, these white people doing it. But you know what? No, this time we're going to be able to do it. So 
I, just, I don't know. I really love that scene, actually. It's really great. So then, you know, they uh, have the whole scene where it's Pauletta. And uh, again, she's like an Oprah. They have this whole letter that they wrote. And uh, it's Wish Day. So they are able to go to Nationals because they get the money from her, which is great. And it's fun because they say, you know, we're going to like uh, give you an, we're going to make you an honorary clever for life. And they give her like, they have this like little uniform that they give her. And Pauletta is a little bit of a, a portlier, you know, Zoftig woman. And so um, she's like, oh, wouldn't I look good in this, y'all? Which I thought was kind of funny. And then it was also, I think, a little funny where, like, one of the Clovers, she's like, you know, you're my girl. You don't need to lose a pound or whatever. And then you can just see Isis like, oh, my God, bitch, shut the hell up. Shut up. We're about to get this money, okay? Jesus, shut the hell up. But anyway, so um, that was just kind of funny to me. But yeah, so you have then at Nationals, both the Tauros and the Clovers, they make it to finals, which is awesome. So, you know, you see all the people in the background, you know, see all them behind the scenes. You get the nice little uh, interaction uh, in the backstage where Les meets another gay cheerleader on another team, which I thought was really nice. And uh, yeah, they both have came there. Cliff has made a surprise appearance in the audience to cheer the team on. Somehow he was just able to get to Florida, I guess. Must be nice to be rich. But anyways, you have like this one scene where like, I think it was like some girl who like vomits on another girl by accident. There was another one where I think somebody got a nosebleed really bad or something. But yeah, so Torrance and Isis, you know, they give each other like this last minute advice about like, hey, you know, your girl's like, you know, this much off you beat or, oh, hey, you know, they're going to take points off for this. So like, make sure they don't do that, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then you have the routines. So you have the Clovers go up first and they have like a really, really good routine. So they go up and then the second routine is with the Toros and you see them going up too. Again, this is very much a cheer movie. So, uh, intermixed with this is, you know, um, these routines that are really great. Um, and then you finally get, you know, we're nearing the end of the movie and you are seeing that, you know, there's this uh, one team that wins, you know, third place, and then you get, you know, second and first place. So then you see that second place ultimately then goes to the Rancho Carne Toros, and then first place goes to the East Compton Clovers, where they are able to get a couple thousands of dollars and, like, you know, the recognition that they were able to win nationals, which is awesome. You get a little scene just with, like, Torrance and Isis, being like, hey, you know, how does it feel? That's really nice. So, you know, the Taurus and the Clovers, they do leave with this newfound respect for one another. Isis compliments Torrance on leading her squad and, you know, Torrance admitting that the Clovers were deserving of their victory. So then you see that the Toros, you know, they're celebrating another season. So they see all this. And then finally, so you have um, Cliff and Torrance, they're on the tarmac or whatever, not tarmac, but like they're on the, um, the, the, the floor of the competition or whatever. And they finally are able to share a kiss with one another. Um, even though I feel like that whole kind of subplot line, I mean, I understand part of it, but then part of it just came out of nowhere, honestly. But like, you know, of course it's going to end with a kiss and everything, which you know, obviously it will. And then we have our ending scene pretty much it's not our it's kind of our end credits a little bit but there's this part where it is set to a cover of mickey by tony basil which is covered by the band bewitched which did say la vie back in the day they uh, it's just all these actors who are just like performing and lip syncing this fucking uh cover of mickey and it's just so heartwarming and wonderful you can find it on youtube if you don't already have seen it but it's just like bring it on end sequence it's so funny um because it's obvious that like these people just went out like the second AD or somebody just like went out and be like, Hey, you know what? Like just have fucking fun with this and enjoy it. Like, you know, and I, I think that just kind of goes to show that like, it was a fun set to be on um, and to do this stuff with. And they're, they're really getting it. I really like it. 
that is the end of Bring It On. So to wrap it up and to, you know, just talk a little bit about Bring It On, uh, I love this movie so, so much. Um, I did not own the physical media of it for a minute, and I recently have changed that. I got the DVD of it pretty cheap on Amazon, so that was really nice. And if you get the DVD that I got, I think it's like one of the special editions or whatever, uh, you can get like uh, some fun little commentary tracks and like... um, just like some little fun tidbits about behind the scenes of stuff of bringing on, which I thought was really good. And yeah, I just think this movie is so it's, there's a certain smartness to it and certain intelligence that I really enjoy about it. I think it's, you know, a movie that still holds up. Um, there's people who still love it to this day. Definitely anybody who's ever been involved in cheerleading, obviously probably enjoys that movie in some way, even though I do think there's a certain level of respect that is given to cheerleaders in this movie, but I really enjoy it. It's, it's pretty good. And yeah, I think it also tackles the topics of your intersection in terms of feminism um, and, you know, cultural appropriation and just like privilege and, you know, how that all kind of works. Um, I do think they make it fairly digestible for people to to watch and see what this is. And and I think it, it does have that level of intelligence there that I thought was really cool um, and wasn't the norm in teen movies, especially, you know, um, especially around this time, teen movies were very much a, a certain kind of thing. And, and I think this one was a little different. So I definitely highly recommend it. I, I enjoy bringing it on so much. I don't need to watch any of the sequels. I don't really think I want to do that. Um, I am intrigued by the, the the horror movie one that just came out. But I mean, that's probably going to be horrible garbage. But maybe I'm into that. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, in terms of streaming this, you can't stream this bitch anywhere hardly. I mean, you probably buy it like it's a stream or something maybe. But here's what I did. You can do this too. If you have a VPN, so Surfshark, I have NordVPN, but if you have a VPN, you can go to South Korea's Netflix, okay? okay? And you're going to go there because it's streaming there. So you can go, that's how I watched it on, on my Netflix. So yeah, get yourself a VPN and you know, encrypt your data and all that stuff. But yeah, go and uh, it's on South Korean Netflix. So you know, go, go find it because, you know, you can go watch it on your TV and it's great. But anyway, so, uh, or you can just buy the physical media. Uh, if you want to watch all those other uh, sequels with it, you can get a Blu-ray of it. Um, it comes with Bring It On, the first movie, and then all the other stupid sequels except for that horror movie sequel, I think, because that was for TV. But uh, yeah, I think everything else, uh, you know, you can just get the DVD of this, honestly, if you really want to. Um, and uh, I think it's a great time. So please indulge yourself in watching Bring It On. Uh you you won't be you won't be sad that you did <laughs> as always if you'd like to get in touch with me you can do so at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com in case you want to give any movie recommendations give feedback on the show or if you just want to say hey i'm open to all of it you can also follow the cult cinema circle podcast on instagram and twitter instagram handle is cult cinema circle and twitter handle is cult cinecircle On those platforms, I tend to announce the different episodes I'm going to be doing. I'll make little Instagram stories when we have an episode drop and just generally interact with anybody on there that wants to interact with me. You can also follow me on Letterboxd at Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, Kremp, K-R-E-M-P, all one word. On there, I log the movies that I watch and write little reviews about them and just general foolishness over there. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty much out there everywhere. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review so we can grow the audience more and also just spread the love all around. Be sure to tune in next week where I'm going to be covering 1998's The Faculty. When some very creepy things start happening around school, the kids at Harrington High make a chilling discovery that confirms their worst suspicions. Their teachers really are from another planet. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. And remember, this is not a democracy, it's a cheerocracy. I'm sorry, but I'm overruling you. Take care. Bye.